The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, today we are so blessed to have Rebecca Harold, who's going to speak to us about all sorts of important privacy issues. She is the privacy professor. She has all of these de- designations, which some of them we'll find out in a few minutes. She is a CIPM, a CIPT, a CIPPUS, like me, a CISSP, a CISM, a CISA, and an FLMI. And she is the owner and CEO of The Privacy Professor. You can find out more about that at privacyguidance.com and privacyprofessor.org. She is co-owner and CVO of HIPAA Compliance Tools. That's hippocompliance.org. And she's a partner and compliance helper with compliancehelper.org. And she's an adjunct professor for the Norwich University Master of Science Information Security and Assurance Program. And that is uh, www.norwich.edu slash MSIA. And her Twitter ID is Privacy Prof. So I could go on and on about all of her recognitions and all of these. She's been best privacy advisor in the world multiple times and all this. But I really want to spend the time talking to this wonderful professor who has authored 16 published books. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us from Iowa. We sure appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Mari. I always enjoy speaking with you so much. Yeah, you're a wonderful guest, one of my very favorite. So, Rebecca, let's talk about the issues with vendors and contractors that we outsource to. Is there anything that we should really be worried about? Oh, boy. Well, you know, there's more and more breaches all the time, and a lot of those breaches occur within the vendors and contractors that businesses use. In fact, Um, A study showed that just in the retail industry, 33%, so a third of the breaches were caused by third parties, by the vendors. And then when you look at healthcare, 
um, you'll find that probably close to half of those are caused by their vendors who are called business associates uh, in the healthcare space. And in fact, there was just one uh, breach that occurred through a business associate in 2014, and it involved 4.5 million patient records. Mm. So it's a huge uh, problem, and really the list of breaches that were caused by contractors and vendors. You know, we could write another book on that, and (laughs) and it would be a very large book, too. So uh, it is a significant problem, and I've done over 300 contractor and vendor assessments. I've seen so many crazy, risky things, um, and I've seen a lot of uh, security and privacy problems that uh, really need to be addressed when you're hiring the contractors and vendors and also, you know, when you're deciding what you're going to entrust to them. So there's yeah. a lot of breaches that occur from that. Right. So the the, uh, the mother company or the company who's outsourcing may be doing everything right, but then they outsource with these smaller vendors that have security holes or privacy breaches or something that causes a problem. And, and who... Who's left on the hook? The the company that outsources, right? Well, it depends on the situation, but generally if the entity that outsourced did not demonstrate due diligence, then yeah, they're going to really face the bulk of the liability. The more that they can do to ensure that these vendors and contractors that they're using are doing the appropriate thing and have the appropriate safeguards in place, then, you know, that mitigates their liability. The key is to make sure that you have good oversight of everyone who you're entrusting access to all of this personal information that they're handling or storing um, or otherwise using in some manner. Right. And and just getting back to that point about, you know, who has the liability, you know, there are a lot of companies that outsource a lot of things. So if you have a contract, you might want to make sure that you have an indemnification agreement that if you're sued for something that they did and it's their fault that they indemnify you for anything that was done that they did that caused the breach for the customers to sue them. So it's 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 a messy situation, whether you're outsourcing or the one who's outsourcing, being the outsourcer, you have to be diligent. Let's talk about um, some of the legal requirements to have oversight of third parties uh, when regarding, you know, with regard to personal information processing. Well, there's so many different... Um, legal requirements, and that's what a lot of organizations who do outsourcing just don't realize. A lot of times they think that, like you mentioned, you know, that indemnification clause, that that's all they need, but really it depends upon the industry that they're in and it depends upon what they are outsourcing. But let's just uh, consider some of the, the legal requirements. So when you're looking at the U.S., if you're looking at the Federal Trade Commission or the FTC, there's actually three different laws that are enforced by the FTC. And, of course, the FTC applies to most organizations that are doing business with consumers in the U.S. 
But uh, there's three laws that truly do restrict disclosure of consumer information, and, and they require uh, companies to ensure security and privacy and integrity of that data. So when you're thinking about the FTC, you're thinking about the Fair Credit Reporting Act or the FCRA. So that has requirements to make sure that there are specific security and privacy practices that are being observed and enforced uh, by everyone who's touching that data that the different credit reporting agencies uh, might be collecting and sending out to vendors to process. They also have under the FTC the Graham-Leach-Bliley Act or the GLBA, and that imposes privacy and security obligations on a, a really broadly defined group of financial institutions, including those, you know, in banking and lending and insurance activities, uh, loan brokering and so on. And, and all of those organizations often outsource different processing or storage. So they need to make sure that the security and privacy safeguards are there. And then the other one that I think gets a lot of organizations is the fact that the FTC Act prohibits unfair or deceptive acts or practices right. uh, affecting commerce. And so that means that, you know, all these organizations put out a privacy notice. And oftentimes the privacy notices that they put out there make promises about how they're going to use, uh, collect, store, and share personal information. Well, if they are then outsourcing that personal information in ways that uh, violate their privacy notice, or if their vendors violate that privacy notice that they've put on their website or, or issued within some other type of document, then that will leave them vulnerable to violating the FTC Act. And, and of course, as you know, there have been some humongous uh, uh, fines and penalties under the FTC Act. And, and that's just under the FTC. I mean, when you get into the healthcare space, Wow. You also have HIPAA, and right. HIPAA, you know, it applies to all vendors and contractors of cover, the covered entities, the healthcare providers and insurers, so they're called business associates, and all those business associates have to follow all the HIPAA security rule requirements and the HITECH Act requirements and most of the privacy rules. So, so, you know, this is just touching the tip of the iceberg, mentioning these four different uh, legal requirements. We could go on for the rest of the day talking about <laughs> all the, the various ones, and then we could get into the state-level, you know, requirements as well. Right. So if you're listening to this and you are worried about some of these privacy and security laws, um, you can go to, for if you live in California or even outside of California, you can go to privacy dot ca dot gov and we list all the privacy laws in california that were passed and the legislation that's pending and we have the federal privacy laws there so we don't have all of the states but we sure have all of the federal privacy laws like uh, rebecca was talking about like the gramlich bliley and hipaa and the fcra and um, one thing I should mention is that the Fair Credit Reporting Act even allows for a private right of action, which uh, the uh, Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act does not, and neither does HIPAA. But California has a 
uh, medical privacy act and a law that you can sue um, you know private entities so it's a little bit different from HIPAA but yeah there's a lot there's so much to keep up with in privacy and security but why is it do you think that most businesses and we and actually most businesses in this country are small businesses and medium-sized businesses why why um, don't most businesses really seem to worry about the security of personal information that they and that they keep or that they entrust do you think they're just oblivious or what's the story well you know I think some are oblivious but I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and also assumptions that are dangerous um, what I've seen during all of those different assessments are many different reasons so uh, one of the things that I see a lot is a lot of the organizations that are outsourcing to vendors or contractors, they think that just simply having something in a contract that requires that third party to have security in place is all they need to do. And so they put in this clause, and then they think, oh, we're covered. Well, you can have that, and that's certainly important to have that, but if the third parties that you've entrusted it to don't read that clause, and that happens a lot, um, then your data is not going to be protected. And and the reason a lot of times those organizations that get that don't read the clause is because the people who do the contracting are different than the people who actually have to implement those security and privacy protections. Mm. Um and that's something I've seen so often, Laurie. I mean, uh, oftentimes the contracting area, they take care of all the paperwork, they do the contracting, and every time I've done a business associate or vendor security and privacy program review, I always ask the security and privacy areas, you know, do you know what's, what uh, contractually your organization has agreed to with regard to security and privacy? And in most cases... They have not seen that contract, so they don't even know what their organization has agreed to to uh, protect that data. And that, that's such a huge communication gap within not only the small organizations, but as you get larger organizations, you know, you, you run into more reasons why that uh, communication doesn't, doesn't take place. Um, and there's many different reasons for that. Sometimes it's just a lack of, you know, bad communication, but sometimes they think, oh, well, you know, in the contracting area, they think, well, we have security and privacy folks, and we know that they have their security and privacy policies that they've issued, so we've got that covered. So they don't realize that just having your own security and privacy program in place, that's good, but that's not enough because you have to know the specific things that you've agreed to do with that data that you've been given to do processing or storage with. So um, there's there's a lot of gaps in communication that lead to very bad or missing security and privacy protections. That's really important that you communicate. And some smaller companies, um, they, you know, they don't even, they will just... uh, 
take whatever they get from the uh, from the larger company, you know, because they got the job, and then they don't even know really what it means to implement. They may not have an attorney looking it over, or they may have an attorney, and the attorney, um, you know, helps them with the contract, but then they don't follow through in what they're supposed to do. So, yeah, it, it is a problem. So we're speaking... Okay. Well, yeah. That's a good point you just made there, too, about... They often do have uh, a lawyer to look at it, but as you know, Mari, if you don't have specific um, knowledge about, you know, the privacy and the security areas themselves, a lot of times if it's just a general uh, legal review, then they might not realize all of the the very specific uh, risks that are involved with privacy and security. So that's a very good point. You need someone who knows about security and privacy, who's reviewing these contracts beyond just general contract law? Right, and to really ask you, what are you going? How are you going to implement this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're speaking today with one of my very favorite guests, a wonderful woman, Rebecca Harold, who is an information privacy, security, and compliance consultant and professor and expert, and she has been on our show before, and she's written 16 books, and she knows what she is talking about, so we're fortunate to have her again. You know, Rebecca, I know that you've done over 300 vendor security and privacy program audits, so um, what are some of the common privacy problems that you see over all industries when they're working with third parties? Well, probably the most common is, and this might scare you to hear this, but the, the most common that I found, and it surprised me actually when I first started hearing it, is that a lot of third parties, especially in the small third parties and in the startups, and there's a ton of smart, uh, startups out there right now, but they believe that if personal information is found online, that it no longer needs to be protected. <laughs> And seriously, and I've written a few blog posts about this, and, you know, and they're like, well, why do we need to protect name and address and It's all out that? there. <laughs> yeah, they say it's out there. It's in the phone book. And then that's when I get to give them my little tutorial about the importance of context. That, you know, yes, there's information that you might find online, but that's, in a different context than you getting that information from a mental hospital or from a pharmacy or something that uh, gives more insight into what is involved with the name and the address and the birth date and so on. So that is probably the most common belief that if we have this information, we don't need to uh, protect it uh, anymore. If if people put it online, and that's another statement they say, well, if people are putting their name on social media and their phone number, then there's no need to protect it anymore because it's out there. And, you know, it comes back to, again, it's all about context when you're talking about privacy and how it impacts those individuals. And some of the places that they see this information is using it illegally and could get sued themselves. You know, we've seen that with Spokio, and we've seen that with other data uh, brokers that have collected information, and they should not have, or they're not following the Fair Credit Reporting Act. So just because something's online doesn't mean you can copy it anywhere, right? I mean, somebody else might be violating the law, so... 
that's that's a crazy one. But let's let's talk a little bit about privacy audits because we have a lot of companies that drive by. We're here on the campus. We have business schools. What are some important things to look for when you do? If you you know you can't afford to have maybe Rebecca come in, but of course you could get Rebecca's books on on doing a privacy audit. But what are some? If you could give us some hints on some important things to do and look for in a privacy audit. Well, certainly when you're doing a privacy audit, you want to look for and identify, first of all, what personal information do you have within your organization? Where are you collecting it from? Uh, What are the personal information items? What's the life cycle of that personal information? And, And when you look at the life cycle of it, and that means, you know, who are you getting it from? Who's touching it? Who's using it? Where are you storing it? Where does it leave your organization? When you create that life cycle, then look at the risk to that personal information that uh, is presented to the, the information throughout that life cycle. For instance, if you have personal information that's stored on mobile devices like your laptops, your smartphones, tablets, USB drives, that's a huge risk to the personal information. So you need to think, oh, well, how are we protecting it on that mobile uh, device. Well, encryption is a wonderful way to help protect the confidentiality of that information so that if somebody picks up the mobile device, they can't just get into the information because it will be encrypted if you're using your encryption appropriately. Right. So, you know, using good encryption, making sure that you have good, strong passwords. There's so many people that use just horrible passwords. I don't know if you saw the analysis of the Ashley Madison password database, but <laughs> they showed the top passwords were something like um, one, two, three, four, five, six was one of them. It had the other, another one was one, two, three, four, five. And it's like, you know, everybody still uses really bad passwords. They use, use good, strong passwords. Uh, make sure you stay aware of uh, current threats and uh, attempts to get to that information. So, you know, and don't leave the uh, the passwords on stickies on, on the computer. <laughs> I've seen right. that in organizations. You walk by and there's these passwords. You know, you've got passwords, but they're in little stickies all over the, uh, all over the computer. <laughs> exactly. That's still done a lot. And, and people, here's another thing that people do that they should never, ever do. Do not use the same password for your business account that you use on social media, like for um, Facebook and so on. Because, you know, when you do that, that that sets your business up uh, to having a hack or a breach. Because if somebody figures out your Facebook password, then they automatically are going to try to use that to get into your business password if they, you know, know the business you work at. And, of course, if they got into your Facebook, oftentimes you have out there on Facebook where you work. So it, it kind of opens up a huge can of worms. Exactly. Kind of. And the same thing with your financial, like your bank password yeah. should be entirely different from, you know, just ones that you get into to read the newspaper, for example, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you get into, you know, when you use your password to read the newspaper or, or some other little things that you belong to that that you don't have sensitive information on. And then you use that same password for your bank account, your investment accounts. That's really scary. You know, I I want to ask you, uh, Rebecca, like, 
You know, what about password managers? You know, I, I started using LastPass and, you know, d- I don't use it for my bank, but I use it for everything else. But I'm just wondering what you think about these. I know LastPass was even hacked. So (laughs) what do you do? What do you do? Well, you know, it depends upon what kind of uh, accounts you have installed. I personally am not a fan of password managers that are cloud-based just because of, you know, that that possibility that they're going to be hacked. But there are different uh, password managers that are based, that you download. And so they're on your local drive. So if you want to use something like that, that's okay. But you know what else is good, and for a lot of people it works perfectly fine, is if you you do want to write them down like in a notebook or whatever for the general consumer, but then protect that notebook. And, And people say, oh, that's horrible. Well, no, because... Then it's a physical access to that notebook. So if you in a locked cabinet, right? A locked cabinet, right? Exactly. In your home, you know how many people are going to have access to come into your home, into your locked cabinet, and get to that notebook. So I think for the general consumer, if they want to keep it written down, that's a physical security um, issue at that point. Then, but if you protect it then you don't have to worry about someone getting into a, a cloud-based service where there might be, you know, tens or, or hundreds of people who might be getting into that same cloud service. Right, right. Let's let's talk about a little bit about cloud services. Um, mm-hmm. Do they, you know, what, what should people look for? Do they have any obligations for security and privacy? Especially, what if what if they're not even in this country? I think that's some of the scary stuff, too. Well, yes, and certainly they do have obligations. Certainly the degree of obligations really depends upon the type of services that they're providing and the industries that they're using for those services. So, for example, in the, the healthcare space, again, if a healthcare provider or insurer is using a cloud service to store, process, or otherwise access patient health information, then that cloud service is considered to be a business associate. And so it must follow all of the HIPAA security rule, high-tech requirements, and most of the privacy rules. It doesn't matter if that cloud service is located outside of the U.S. or inside. Hmm. The fact that they are a business associate means that they have to follow HIPAA. And so the covered entity that hired them needs to make sure that they are meeting all of the HIPAA requirements then because of the the HIPAA law and also the obligations they have to provide some sort of ongoing oversight. Now, when you get into other types of cloud services, let's say uh, Dropbox or, you know, uh, Google Drive or something like that, if those are being used by just the, the general consumer, then, you know, it's a, there, it's a lot less protected with regard to what happens to that data. And, in fact, oftentimes when the general consumer uses a, a cloud service to store their photos or other types of documents, they need to read the fine print because oftentimes it will say we do not have any responsibility for what happens to your data. And it makes it even harder when you do have cloud services that are based outside of the U.S., if you're a general consumer and something happens and that uh, cloud service gets breached. And, in fact, I 
I just uh, posted on my blog um, uh, an article about outsourcing outside of the U.S. and things to be aware of. So your listeners can go out there and I detail those uh, issues quite a bit in that blog post. Yeah, I think it's uh, very important that you find out where the, the cloud is based because if you are putting things in there that's important, I mean, when I use Dropbox, I use it to send you know, MP3s that of my guests to them, but I don't use it for special and, you know, encrypted, but for anything that's not encrypted, I put it encrypted up there if I'm going to use it for a big file. But most of the time I wouldn't use it for that because they've already had a breach. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, so, so it is scary, but to, to really find out where that cloud is, because I think if you had anything really important, if there was something, if that cloud went down, you might not ever be able to get your stuff back if there was some problem with that country. So, Oh, exactly. And that's another reason why it's so important as an associated issue to make backups. It, it, even if you have a ton of information, you know, in the cloud, if you don't want to lose that forever, make a backup of it uh, yeah. so you can make sure that, that you don't lose it completely. Exactly. Well, we are just out of time, but I just want to give your website, privacyguidance.com or Rebecca Harold. Harold is spelled H-E-R-O-L-D. Rebecca, you are wonderful. You're always filled with such great advice and wisdom, and we will have you back again, okay? Well, thank you. And also, if people want to go out to uh, privacyprofessor.org, why, that would be great as well. Okay, we will have you again soon. Thank you so much. Have a great, great day. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.